production today. Uh, and I think we're going to find that these bullet points that I mentioned, that they're valid and they're true. All right, so one of the things that's very clear in, in Scripture is that sexuality is mentioned a lot. It's mentioned a lot. You know, unfortunately, it's mentioned a lot in the negative light. So if we, if we take a look at, uh, well, actually, let, let's, before we talk about the negative light, let's just talk about God's relationship with Israel. And this is from Ezekiel chapter 16. And this is also something that, that Piper talks about. This is what it says. I'm, I'm not going to have, I'm going to read it. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. And I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God and you became mine. There's no way of, you know, misinterpreting this. This is a, God is a lover here, and he has spotted this, this baby that's been thrown in the field, umbilical cord still attached, and left alone. And he has uh, watched this baby grow, and he has thrown his garment over her. And if you remember uh, from the book of Ruth, when Boaz threw his garment over, over Ruth, what did that represent? It represented marriage. It represented a, a covenant that he was covering her and he was, she was his. So the relationship between God and Israel was one of a husband and wife. This is the way it's presented. And so... You think of sexuality, and, and here inspired scripture is describing the relationship between man, God, and, and Israel. Go a little further. This is where things get tripped up. But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments, made for yourself and colorful shrines, and on them played the whore. The like has never been, nor ever shall be. Jump down to 22. And in all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and wallowing in your blood. So once again, sexuality is, it, when God sees the unfaithfulness of Israel, what does he see? He sees it as adultery, as sexual immorality. He sees it as whoring. So it kind of gives us the idea that if sexuality serves a purpose, God uses it in his language to describe unfaithfulness and faithfulness. And this is something that I had not really ever thought about until the past two months. Um, so here is the good news. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done 
you who have despised the oath and breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and your younger, and I give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. Verse 62, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded, and never open your mouth again because of your shame, when I atone for you for all that you've done, declares the Lord God. So this again, this is obviously pointing to the coming of Christ, when Christ is going to cover our sins, forgive us, and we're going to be restored back to this marital relationship with God. It's a, it, this is a, all kind of pretty amazing. So uh, on, the, on my porch the other day, uh, Andrew was there, and I was talking a little bit about today's Sunday School lesson, and I said, you know, uh, I'm going to reference Hosea, and you know, looking back on Hosea, we studied it last summer, and the one thing that was really crazy about Hosea is that how many times does the word whore and whoredom appear in that, in that study? And I told Andrew, I said, I felt sorry for you, Andrew, that you had to say that so many times. I mean, I don't even like to use the word whore or whoredom. I mean, I just, it's not something that is in my vocabulary very often. And you had, in reading, the, reading from Hosea, it's all about the unfaithfulness of, of Israel. So if God sees the unfaithfulness of Israel as whoredom, adultery, sexual immorality, what is faithfulness? Was that? Yeah. I mean, the, the obvious thing is that in the, in the, in the narrow de, uh, definition of, of sex being only proper in the covenant of marriage, uh, faithfulness is kind of represented by sexual purity, by, by us obeying God and, and, and sex being reserved for the, for the marriage. So taking a little bit further, faithfulness, sexual relations within a harmonious, mutually loyal marital relationship. I think this is a, a pretty reliable conclusion, but it, it still is kind of stretching our minds because we've always thought in terms of sexual immorality, unfaithfulness. That's what Israel did. But we never said, well, what is, well then what is faithfulness in, term, in, in sexual language? Well, whoever thought about representing faithfulness uh, to God sexually. I mean, we don't, we don't normally think that way. I don't, <laughs> anyway. All right, so uh, remember Hosea. Oh, I'm sorry, was there a question or? Right. fruitful and fill and, and, and yeah, have dominion. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think what I'm trying to say is that I think we all agree with that. That it, that it does help us to fulfill what, what God has called us to do. But this transcending 
other purpose of sexuality is something that we're not going to we're not going to grasp. We're not going to unless we study the Word of God and really uh, come to some deductions uh, from from it. Dave. Yeah. Well, they, they, they intermarried, they erected idols, not the true God, and began worshiping those idols. That was the unfaithfulness. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's part of the curse, part of God's, you know, judgment on, on them, yes. Okay, but the thing is, as, as, as depressing as Hosea was in, in looking at the indictments against Israel... And, you know, how many times he said, you're playing the whore, you know. There were, there were two, I think there were two, two passages in Hosea that would ha had a glimmer of hope, and this is one of them. And it's, it's going back toward this picture of God as a lover, a loving husband, pursuing the wife. So look what it says here. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will allure her. There's some wooing going on there, right? And bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. Verse 16. And in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. Uh, jumping down to verse 19. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Piper's point in talking about this, he says that when you, when you see this last phrase, and you shall know the Lord, that there's no way that uh, God in speaking through Hosea, is talking about a head knowledge of God, but an intimate knowledge of God, a loving of God that's more than just what takes place in the head. And this is, this is where, again, bringing us closer to this, this, this discussion of sexuality. Wait a second, let me just... Okay. Yep, I'm glad I had this note here. So what's described here is not a king and his subjects, but a husband and wife. Uh, what constitutes and contributes to knowing the Lord? God is wooing and courting us, treating us as a prized possession in marriage. This is a really important picture for us to, to really grasp and have kind of in the front of us, in front of our minds. Um. Uh, we, we go to the New Testament, and this is where Paul fills in some of, the, some of the gaps here. And he's instructing the husbands how to treat their wives. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Again, this is, this is really talking about the, the, the husband being devoted to the wife. Verse 30. We are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, we know that man, and, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That's from Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2. God created man in his image. He says, let us, the plural triune God, create man in our image. And he created them, him male and female. The Trinity is three persons. And there's a loving, harmonious, intimate relationship of the three persons. Um, this is clear in scripture. Jesus came, he, his love for the Father was shown as an obedience to do the, do the Father's will. And because the triune God is a relational God, three, three persons, man has created male and female, relational, two persons. Uh, here, this verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ the church. Again, Comparing man and woman, husband and wife, married, same as Christ in the church. Not exactly the same, but it's, it's modeled after. It's that relational uh, relation that's, being, that's very com comparable. Um, so here we have a call to, uh, for sexual purity and from 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Again, that's taking that teaching from Genesis and applying it to when the man goes out and, and goes to a prostitute, goes to another prostitute. He's, he's, he's bound to her now. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So again, talking about what this relationship is. Now with a man and woman, it's, it's a physical, sexual relationship. With man and God, it's a spiritual relationship. But we have to think of this now as something more intimate than just a head knowledge that God is our, our God and he's our savior, that he's the creator. Yeah, there's a lot of facts. But when, when the Bible says, I shall love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's a lot more than just head knowledge in that, in that declaration and call for us to love God. It's with our hearts, too. Um, and this is also in verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So we're supposed to glorify God in all that we do. In our sexual relations, we're to glorify God. Um, so here we come down to some, some discussion. So, uh, Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, 
a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. What is that? What do you think that verse is pointing to? I'm sorry, what? The marriage supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's going to be a, a banquet in heaven. And uh, we have this picture. We all know what it's like to have a, have a feast. You know, when we're cooking ribs and it takes eight hours and we have friends coming over, we have this gathering, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful experience. We all are enjoying the food. And, and, and a really good wine goes with that food. It's great, and it, it's really something. But it's, it's something that we're going to have to do the next day because, you know, we're going to be hungry the next day. So we have this hunger that drives us to eat. But we, can't, we don't just eat. We, we enjoy this richness of food here on earth. And it's, it's a picture of what that banquet is going to be in heaven. But let me ask you a question. Do you think this... This meal that we have at home when we've smoked ribs for eight hours and we enjoy that food, is that going to be adequate description of what that marriage supper is going to be like in heaven? You, you think it's, it's going to fall short? I mean, when we finally get there and we're, we're with our Lord and we're sitting down at the banquet and we're his bride... How, how, does, how does this picture of enjoying food relate to, uh, you know, the actual marriage supper in heaven? John. Yeah, it's probably going to be better than anything we've had, even if we spent $50 on a bottle of wine. Ronnie? picture we can have. He says, look, you know, well-aged wine, feast of rich food. Jay. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. The Lord himself, the creator. So it's not like, you know, if, if we're serving steak, there's, there's, a, there's a farmer that raised the cow. There's a butcher that butchered the cow. The grocery store packaged it for us. We take it home and we grill it. A lot of human hands are involved with the making of that, that steak and, and enjoying it. But this is all going to be provided by the Lord. And just as, as John said, that wine at, at the wedding of Cana was far superior than, than anybody ever had. And, and the master of the feast knew it right away. There was something really backwards about it because uh, he, he was saving the best for last. And the best is being saved for last. It's being saved for us in heaven. All right, so there's a comparison. We have this hunger. We enjoy food. Uh, God gives us a picture of, of what that's going to be like. He says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for us a feast of rich food, feast of well-aged wine. And it gives us a picture of what that marriage supper is going to be like, right? 
but it's 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 going to fall short. You know, the best feast we've ever had here on earth is not going to compare to that marriage supper that we attend as as Christ's bride. So, uh, we have the comparison that Paul gives biblical marriage between man and a woman. Marriage between Christ and his church. There's there's a comparison. There's there's a relationship there that's that helps us to understand Christ and his church that we're actually going to be his bride. You know, obviously if you're if you're a man, we have to kind of stretch ourselves and say, well, oh, I'm going to be the bride. But if, if you don't accept that fact, well, <laughs> maybe you're not going to be there. I'm glad I'm going to be the, the bride of Christ because that's going to be my salvation. There's going to be glory and an eternity of, of joy to spend with the Lord. Okay, so we have this comparison of a feast on earth, the, the marriage supper in heaven, biblical marriage between man and a woman, the marriage between Christ and the church. All right, so now we have marriage between man and a woman is consummated by the beginning of sexual relations. So what does that point to? If we're betrothed to Christ and we're going to be attending a marriage supper and we're going to be the guests of honor, actually Christ is going to be the guest of honor, we're going to be his bride, uh, how will our marriage to Christ be consummated? Okay. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Let, let, let's let uh, let's save your 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 response for last, Matt. Good, Ronnie. Well, we already have the Holy Spirit, right? So maybe you're talking about like the glorified bodies. We see Christ as He is. It will actually, uh, Matt. Yes. 
here's a, here's a few verses just to consider, especially what, what Matt just said. Uh, so from Revelation, the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Um, if we think about our sexual relations, we know that there's, there's, some, there's, a, there's an otherworldliness involved with these relationships. And uh, there's a joy, there's an ecstasy that's associated with this. But it's very, it's very short-lived. You know, you go to sleep, the next day you have to wake up and go to work. You know, you, there might be dishes to clean, house to clean, diapers to change. So it's very short-lived. But it does also serve the purpose of unifying, you know, the husband and wife. It draws them closer together. It, it serves that purpose, that oneness that, that Matt was was uh, talking about, uh, but it also is, is short-lived. You know, life goes on and, and it's busy. Uh, if you were to do a word study of the word joy and take a look at what Psalms have to say about joy, it is all surrounding and in the Lord. Uh, there is joy for those that find their refuge in the Lord. There's joy in the salvation of the Lord. It comes from the Lord, it's in the Lord, it's by his side. Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, is, is sex pleasurable? Yes, it is. And, and we're not, I'm not saying that there's going to be sex in heaven, because actually there's not going to be sex in heaven. That's the bad news, but that's also the good news. And the reason is because of 1 Corinthians 2.9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So again, what, what Matt was saying, you know, this is the best picture we have of what heaven's going to be like. But it falls far short of the real deal. And if we, uh, if we have this kind of understanding of human sexuality and we're not, you know, so reticent to talk about it, not so embarrassed to talk about it, but we, we have this in front of ourselves, we have the Word of God telling us that this is very, very special. And uh, we come to some other conclusions that I think I, I put down here. So I've kind of crossed out the world view here. So what, uh, what Rob said earlier, marriage, including the sexual relationship, is a gift from God. Marriage is essential in being created in God's image. That relationship is from God, and it's part of being created in God's image. There are commentators that have written about the, the creation of, of marriage, the institution of marriage in creation, and they, they've stated that Man is no more acting in the image of God than when they are entered into a co covenantal relationship of marriage. That that relationship is a blessing from God. And it's, it's a picture of the harmonious relationship that's in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, it pictures the powerful relationship that is possible between us and Christ and will be realized in the resurrection. 
It's a foretaste of the joy that awaits us when we receive our glorified bodies and are united, married to Christ. Last point within the covenant, covenant of marriage only. But I think, I think we have to like emphasize more the first couple of bullets and not that last bullet. It's sort of like, uh, you know, what is it to be legalistic? I lay out a bunch of laws. I'm going to follow this. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to do this. And we're repeating the same mistakes that, uh, that Israel struggled with. They, they, they tried to follow the law. They couldn't do it. God has a better answer. He fills us with our Holy Spirit. And if we're led by the, steer, the, the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if we have in mind what can we do to remain sexually pure in the world, well, have in, in front of our minds what God has given us, what it signifies, that it's much more than just an animal you know, relationship, a, a human, a physical desire that needs to be satisfied. It's, it's much more. Every good thing uh, comes down from heaven, from, from God in which there is no shifting shadow. Um, you know, we don't, we don't talk enough about this, this topic. And for sure, I, I've, I've, you know, the past two months have been like, my brain's been exploding because, you know, these are thoughts. I said, you know, I wish I knew this like 30 years ago when the kids were still in my house and growing up, you know, I wish I knew that because I would have talked to them about this. And if you want to prepare and you want to protect your children from an over-sexualized world and, and, and uh, give them a chance of being, remaining sexually pure, you need to equip them. You need to fill them with the knowledge of, of, of God. Um, and that's, that's really the best protection that you can have. I mean, External means, software on your computer, you know, saying, oh, I'm not going to watch that movie that's rated, rated uh, R or X. You know, I'm not going to watch that movie. I'm going to only watch PG. A lot of PG movies are not that great either. So uh, what can we do? Um, you know, part of, you know, when I was asked that question, what, what's the consummation uh, like in, in when we are married to Christ, we're sitting at the, the marriage supper. Uh, in Second Peter, there's this phrase, we become partakers of the divine nature. I really think that we have eternal life now. The Holy Spirit lives in us now. But I don't think we really have a clue about what it is to be a partaker of the divine nature. And we're not going to know that until... We're with the Lord. Um, and this is where the, uh, the second bullet, where knowing God can help protect and guide your sexuality, comes in. Supplement the highlighted phrase. Supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. So what precedes the self-control there? Knowledge. And again, this is, this is, these are some of the things we talked about today we don't talk about enough. And if I were going to advise, you know, you know young adults uh, that are married and they're 
beginning to have children, talk to your children. Don't let their hormones start raging, uh, you know, and, and they were, when they're 13, and wait till then, and then try to, you know, make sense out of this to them. Talk to them, prepare them, give them this larger view of human sexuality, and you'll prepare them to be pure, to keep themselves pure, and to wait until they're married uh, before they experience sex. Um, there's verses here, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think of these things. Especially that we know that the, the sex drive is very, very powerful. And we know that a lot of Christian children grew up in, in Christian uh, families. They fall prey. They, they can't resist this. They need, they need to be focused. They need to be uh, trained up and, and, and prepared. Do not stir up or awaken love. There's a right time. It's in marriage. Um, Job, covenant with my eyes, how can I gaze at a virgin? There, there's something about, there's things that you cannot unsee. So there's things, you see a movie, there's a sex scene, very tough to remove that sex scene from your mind. So there's maybe a little practical point to, to make. So we come back to what uh, Piper and his other colleagues were, were stating in this book, sexuality is designed by God as a way to know God and Christ more fully. Knowing God and Christ more fully is designed as a way of guarding and guiding our sexuality. All right, the rest. So, like I said earlier, this book, uh, Sex and the Supremacy of Christ, was published in 2005, so 16 years ago. I really, really wish I had the book 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. Uh, we cannot be silent. It's all about the sexual revolution and how it's, it started, you know, for my life anyway, I was entering college in the 1960s, kind of the beginning of this, the sex revolution. The Vietnam War was raging and, and um, the, the slogan came out, make love, not war, because everybody preferred love to the war that was going on in Vietnam. But so many things were happening there. The, the, the birth control pill was out. Uh, the college campuses, they were, you know, uh, a venue for sexual experimentation. Um, and, and Moeller traces what happened in the decades since then and how we find ourselves today. It's a slippery slope. And now it, sex is turned upside down. It's, but it's all, it's all a, an attack against God's created order. It's, it's holding a, a fist up to God saying, no, we'll do what we want. We'll decide what we want. We'll decide, you know, you made me a woman, but I can be a man. I, you made me a man, I can be a woman. You know, it's like uh, an uh, attack on God's created order. And that's really why I think marriage is such a sacred thing. It's such a precious thing. And uh, why the... Uh, the sexuality within marriage needs to be guarded. And we need to be training up our kids uh, in that way also to prepare them so they'll have the, the best tools, the best, you know, training that they can resist.
the temptation that's going to be before them. I'm sorry I did a lot of talking, but, you know, this stuff has been going on for like two months. I've been talking to myself, you know, in the middle of the night when I can't sleep, and rather the Lord's been talking to me. I said, yeah, i got to include that. And I, I was adding slides this morning uh, at 7 a.m., you know, because there were still other thoughts last night uh, that uh, came to mind that I, I thought would be good to mention. So we got five minutes to go. Any questions, any thoughts? Uh, anything at all, John? You asked about how confrontation that parents or how that relationship with parents can come from and immediately to my mind, that take it time to think about how should I something in me that's going off more against the spirit. There's this spiritual yeah. Spiritual offspring, like uh, people becoming Christians? Well, you know, we're, eternal life for us has begun the day that we're saved, the day we come to believe in Christ as our Savior, right? That, at that point, Holy Spirit has entered into our bodies. The temp, our, bodies our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. At that point, we're marked unto salvation. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee, right? But, you know, this this body is still sinful. There's a sinful nature, and this body's deteriorating. It's aging. It's going to die someday. So whatever that divine nature is, is like, we're not going to know until the day of resurrection. And uh, it'll be a day of joy. Uh, it'll be... Uh, uh, other denominations, they refer to the transformation of those who are still here and are transformed in the twinkling of an eye. They refer to that event as the rapture. What does the word rapture mean? Ecstasy. It means ecstasy. It means you're experiencing something that's just blowing your mind, the, the, the joy and the ecstasy of being given our new glorified bodies that will never die. We, we have no clue what that is like right now. I mean, I'm 70 years old. My back aches. I don't sleep. My eyesight's failing. You know, my allergies are kicking up. You know, I had like 30 years of no allergies. Now, everything is like, you know, aging is like, yeah, this is so I look forward to heaven. So I prefer heaven to, to now. When you're younger and you're, you know, you're feeling healthy, yeah, maybe you prefer now to heaven. You say, well, I'd like to live a little longer. I wish the Lord would delay his, his arrival, his second advent, because I'm enjoying things. But we're in a, we're in a losing proposition here, a, a depreciating arrangement. <laughs> and uh, it, it helps, it, it actually helps to look forward to uh, the resurrection. Ronnie.
Jake. That's me. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, why did you take this topic? <laughs> because it was destined. It was, it was uh, God's calling for me to take this topic. Okay, well, whatever. Uh, okay, I think we're, we're done. I'm going to, you know what? With all this setting up, I didn't open in prayer, but I'm going to close in prayer. I apologize. Uh, I, I came here and I was nervous with all this electronics saying, can it, is everything going to work? And I'm a, do I know how to hook these things up? And I forgot to open in prayer. What it, Matt, what's going to happen to me at the next session meeting? I'll be all right. Okay. All right. So let's, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are so great and you're so good.